You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. All right. Today, I'm pretty excited about this message uh, for a few different things, but I, I hope that our hearts um, can really be open to what God wants to say. Some of these things that we're going to talk about, you may have said, well, I've already heard this part before, but I, I want to challenge you to be open this morning. Can we do that? We all, I need some... Uh, pretend to be open by nodding your head this morning. That'll make me feel a lot better. Um, but I want to start off, before I get into this text, by sharing a... We're, we're in a crazy political season right now. Crazy. I won't even comment more than that, other than it's crazy. But I want to quote a famous politician slash former president by the name of George W. Bush. And he says this one time. He said, there's an old saying in Tennessee... I know it's in Texas, it's probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, uh, shame on you. You fool me, you can't fool me again. That, that was a joke, people. You, you guys don't know the real, you don't know the He really did say that, but that's not what the saying actually goes in ten, Tennessee or Texas. But the overall idea is, like, if I fall into a mistake once, like, if you trick me, that's, that's on you. But if I fall into it the same, same thing again, that's on me. That's, you guys understand the concept here. You guys saw how the joke was... Okay, anyway. Um, and in some ways, we're kind of going into that same thing a little bit. Paul starts off this chapter, well, he didn't write chapter 10, but this section of Scripture to the church in Corinth, he's like, okay, let's take a, a break here for a second. I want to remind you of something that happened. He says, I do not want you to, become, uh, to be unaware. Remember this happened to our people? Well, he's talking to kind of a mixed group here in Corinth. It's not all Jews that he's talking to. These are new believers in this new church. So it's Greek, it's Roman, it's Jewish, all together. But they are now part of the body, right? They are part of God's chosen family. He, he says, I want you, who are now grafted into God's people, to learn from something that happened a long time ago, and don't get fooled again. Shame on me, right? Tracking? Okay. So that's what's happening in chapter 10. He's like, Let, let's learn. Let's look back here. He says about Moses and the Israelites, they all were baptized into Moses. They passed through the sea, they passed through the cloud. They had the same spiritual food, the same spiritual drink. They drank from the rock that was following them, this rock of Christ who was there in spirit with them in Israel and out of Egypt into the promised land. He was there with them, giving them spiritual drink. God was providing for them. And God was not pleased with most of them. They sinned, and they were broken, and they were a mess. They all had the same food supply, but many of them were still walking around in brokenness, okay? And he says, I want you to understand this. You've been grafted into this here. He makes a clear, Paul is making clear parallels for us, if we, if we don't take the time to look at it, between us as new believers in Christ and those, the, the Israelites, coming out of slavery. This baptized following the cloud and, and this water baptism. Moses, I don't remember seeing anywhere when Moses was like baptizing the Israelites, right? 
But there was a new life that took place when they were in bondage of Egypt, correct? Slavery to freedom as God's free people. And they followed the cloud, which was the presence of God. And there was a cloud by day and fire by night to literally follow where God was leading them. That for us as new believers, we've been baptized into Christ through water baptism, through the Spirit's baptism, and we follow the cloud, we follow the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he's drawing this parallel. Look, they did this, you guys are in the same place, and I don't want you to miss what happened to them. They had the same spiritual food. What is our spiritual food? What is, what is this food and drink that we now partake of? I hear mumbles, that's okay. Christ. What's one of the most common ways that we can see us taking and participating in this meal together? Communion, the Eucharist, whatever you want. It's the blood and the body. God has given us the blood and body of Christ that we consume. We are part of this family together. We've been baptized in Christ. The same way the Israelites, God literally gave them manna from heaven and water from a rock. God provided for them in the past the whole body, and once again, God is providing for us in Christ spiritual sustenance through the blood and the body of Christ that we get to share in on a regular basis and celebrate Him in us, right? So if we celebrate Him in us, and we are this body, we get some of us, He says, nevertheless, most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What is happening here? I want you to see that Paul is setting up not just a history lesson for us, but a history lesson that tells us who we are now and how we have a choice to not do the same thing that Israel did in the past. Okay? That's where we're going. Let's read verse 6 through 13 here. Now, these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's pause there. So he starts off saying, okay, let's learn from Israel. Let's learn. We're, we're very similar. We're in this new body. We're in God's people. Let's learn from their mistake. They fell, the first thing he says, falling into idolatry. And then here's this weird verse that if we don't really understand what he's referring to, sounds kind of fun, actually. <laughs> Remember, they ate and they drank and they played. Flee from sexual immorality. I'm confused. So they had fun and ate and drank. I thought those are good things to do. And sexual immorality. That word play is actually kind of a, a silly word or a light word of saying they were sexually deviant. It wasn't play like they, you know, played some football or whatever in the desert. That's not what they were doing. He, literally, this is referring, he says about 23,000 fell. In Numbers chapter 25, we see that the Israelites engaged in large-scale orgies with the Moabite women. Large-scale. It was rampant sin. 
happening in the book of Numbers. You see this. And that led to them serving Moabite gods. They connect with the women. There's these orgies. And this, they, they, they've already come out of, the, out of bondage. And they go from bondage to sexual immorality and orgies and drunkenness and this wild lifestyle. And then that led to absorbing the gods of these women. And then that led to literally the destroyer coming and wiping out 23,000 of them at one time. It led to their physical death. He says, remember how their freedom from Egypt and their freedom now as God's chosen people they turned and turned to idols, and they turned to sex, and they turned to drunkenness, and then they all fell hard. God was not pleased. And he's saying the same thing to us. Don't fall to idolatry. Don't fall into the same temptation saying, well, now I'm free in grace, and I can do whatever I want. We've been talking over these last few weeks about food offered to idols and sexual whatever. And then Paul is clearly saying, you now in grace have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to make decisions. I'm not giving you black and whites anymore. I'm letting you be led by the Spirit and to make decisions that build up the church, build up the body, and encourage your own spirit. Make sense? That is really quiet this morning. You guys all got lost on me there. He says, don't turn back to the same mistakes of the sexual immorality and these idolatries. This morning, I want to say this. Often in our lives, one idol leads to another. Their idol of sexual lust led to worshiping of another God. So often, you can just probably look at your own life or look at other people's lives that you know because it might feel more comfortable for you to, to not look at yourself, I guess. So often, pride leads to greed. Lust leads to selfishness. Drug addiction leads to theft. Like these are, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like one thing usually leads to another. One sin often is accompanied by another. And before we know it, our whole entire world, we were once free to make decisions, and now we're in bondage, and now we're broken. And now we're far from the freedom of God. Make sense? Don't fall into a similar death or this wandering around by making the same mistakes again. You're free now. You're free in grace. Don't do what they've already done. He says this, that one verse there. Therefore, let anyone who thinks, this is verse 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I, uh, I hate taking medicine. Hate it. Hate taking medicine. I'm a bad... I, I go to the doctors regularly. Like my wife is kind of annoyed by that. She's like, you go to the doc doctors more than kids do? Well, I'm, I, I turn 30 and I bruise easily, basically. And so I go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, I need you to take this. I'll take that pill. If it's a 10-day pill, I'll take it for six. Like, after that, I'm bored. And I'm like, oh, I'm okay. I'm good enough. Like, that's kind of... I hate taking pills. Ash bought me a big old bottle of vitamins because I'm like, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to take these vitamins. I took those vitamins for like three out of five days the first week. You know, it was, I was struggling to take these pills. Will just went to Cambodia, and I remember him saying, I don't really think, I don't think I really need the malaria shots. Hope you don't have malaria, right? I hope not. He doesn't have it. But like so often in our lives, we kind of have this thing inside of us that says, I'm strong enough. I'm not going to get sick. How many of you guys, let's be real. Never take vitamin C or drink orange juice until the day you got a cough. Like that. Okay, the rest of you guys are awesome people. There's three of us who like, I'm chugging orange juice the day I get a sniffle. The rest of the year, I hate that stuff. Like that's how we are as people. We're like, I'm fine. I'm not going to get sick again. That was the last time I'll ever get sick. And then 
three months later or the season changes, I have been prescribed by my doctor on multiple occasions to take Flonase or Nasonex or Zyrtex, I think, the pills. I take that when my eyes start to turn like pink and I can't breathe. Like that's when I take it. Like this is not the kind, this is the kind of mentality though, that some of us have spiritually. Like we're, we'll only follow the presence of God. We'll only stay in his presence. We'll only be protective against idolatries when the moment like all of a sudden we realize our life is a mess. Like that's when all of a sudden we turn to God in prayer. It's, it's truth. 9-11 happens. Everybody floods the church. Every time there's a major tragedy, everybody wants to be pray, full of prayer. The rest of the, the time, they're like, oh, look at us. I'm invincible. I'm awesome. I, can, I will never fall. And Paul says, look at you. You guys think you're so wise. The church, of course, remember, they're, they're the ones who think of themselves as sophists, as philosophers, as the intellectual. Now that they've received this grace, they can do whatever they want. Paul says, you think you're so wise. You think that you can stand, and you're going to fall quickly unless you realize you have to take warning from the past and do something today about it to stand strong. You have to do something preventative. You have to. Verse 12, don't think that just because you found grace, you found the grace of God, that you're spiritually elite. Don't think that you can't be overtaken by sin. Every one of us is prone to sin outside of following the Spirit of God, outside of heeding to His voice and regular intercession with Him. The Israelites had to follow that cloud, and once that cloud wasn't there, once they weren't pursuing him, once they weren't, their hearts weren't devoted toward him, they turned to other idols. Once they were out of Egypt, they began to put themselves back in Egypt with the same old slavery, the same old heart idolatry that they were in beforehand. God says, stay in freedom. Focus on your freedom. Focus on what I'm giving you through grace. Don't think, church, that we are immune from disease. By disease, I mean So often, I mean, I, I heard that conversation before, you know, should we, half of America thinks doctors are like, it's a big conspiracy, the other half of America loves, they'll take anything they give them. But like, how many of you guys know, like, most people are like, oh man, I should have taken that immunity shot. Like, I, I'm that way. I will never take a flu shot because I'm like, I'm never going to get flu again. Six months later, I'm throwing up. Like, this is, sometimes we need to realize I'm not immune to sin. I'm not immune to brokenness. I have to keep my heart in the right place. We'll talk a little bit about, about that more. Verse 13. This has been one of my life verses. One of these verses that I keep reading over and over again. I think that sometimes I misunderstood it a little bit. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he's also provided a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Except what is common to man. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. I think most of my life I've always thought that versus it was kind of like an excuse. Right? Like, so, oh, I fell into this sin again. Well, it says nothing's overtaken me except what's common. So everybody does this, so this is okay. Right? That's kind of what it sounds like a little bit. But God's faithful. He'll give me a way of escape so I won't fall into it. But if I do fall into it, I have grace and it's common, so it's, it's fine. When I've been studying this verse here recently, I don't think that's what it means. We have to look at this whole context of the letter to Corinth, to the church of Corinth. In chapter 3, he's talking about divisions and fights and arguments. And he says this phrase, he says, you are being just merely human. And then later on that chapter, he says, but you need to know that you are the temple of God. 
I'm saying to you, that Paul is not saying, hey, it's okay, we all fall into the typical common human sins because we're all human. He's telling them, look, the things that overtake you, they are human. They are human sins, human bondage, but you are no longer merely human. You are the temple of God. And so look for the way of escape. Does that make sense? You are not merely human anymore. We like to say, also, well, I'm just human. I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you're a saint now, justified by the cross, washed in his blood with the capability and the availability of the Holy Spirit to lead you into truth and righteousness so you don't have to fall into sin tomorrow or tonight or today when you're angry at me right now. <laughs> you don't have to fall into sin anymore. I'm not saying that we'll live perfect lives. I'm saying that you are no longer a slave in Egypt or a slave to sin. You are free. You are free, and we have to become aware of that and look that God's faithfulness has given us escape from every temptation that comes our way. Escape is there because he is faithful. Are we faithful enough to find it? Are we aware enough of his presence enough to run toward that escape and take it? Or do we just make excuses and say, oh, common man, you are God's temple. Look for the way of escape. The next time that you fall into temptation, the next time you fall into the same old thing, look for the way of escape. It's there. I promise you, it's there. It can be a phone call at the right moment. It can be a thought that pops in your head. It can be the Holy Spirit knocking on your door. It can be something. You just have to recognize it and take that doorway. Take that freedom. Verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, He's not angry at him, so if you feel like I'm angry at you right now, I'm, I'm yelling at me as well. And I love me, and I love you. So Paul's doing the same thing to Corinth. I love you. He's saying, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. He's talking about making, making good decisions here. This is, a, this is a logical understanding here of the gospel. I speak to sensible, sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break is not participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifice participants of the altar. What do I mean then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that idols is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are stronger than he. And in a few weeks, Ben's going to preach on the Lord's table and communion. Paul goes into that a little bit deeper here in Corinthians. Well, I'm not going to really dig into that right there, but we kind of alluded to it already. We partake at the Lord's Supper Spiritually, we literally are, are taking in Christ. We're making a statement that says, I am part of his body right now. When we share that meal together, say, I'm part of him, and I want only him to reside in this temple. I want only him to be a part of me, and I don't want to be worshiping some other god, some other idol, some other form of something. It's only him. But what I really want to focus on the rest of this message this morning, the rest of our time, is verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking to sensible people. Paul says we're partakers in Christ, and now we have the freedom to live like that. 
there are blinders of darkness outside of the life of Christ. And they have to be removed so that I can no longer see those empty things as having value. I can see them for what they really are. I have to be sensible with what the Spirit's saying. I have to see through the eyes of Christ that those things are empty, that the chains of sin are broken, and I'm free to live for Christ now with peace and joy and commitment. He says, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Let me, I want to give you an example here. I'm going to, you guys have been wondering, what is this under, how many of you guys have been wondering what's underneath of this? Uh, okay, I'll show you. This is Buddy Lee, all right? Uh, no, it's not a Chucky doll. It is, it is Buddy Lee. Uh, for those of you who don't know Buddy Lee, Buddy Lee was the star of Buddy Lee Dungarees commercials back in like the early 2000s. Um, I worked at Cole's department store for uh, like a year or so when I was in high school, and I got that because we had a bunch of them at the store, and my boss said, you can have one. I'm like, yes, thank you. So Buddy Lee has been with me since I was 18 years old. I'm now 32. So he's been with me longer than my wife, longer than my kids. <laughs> Pretty much longer than most of my friends. Um, that's kind of sad, actually. <laughs> Buddy Lee has been with me for a long time. He sat on every desk I've ever had in college, in mental health group homes. He sat in my office since I've had an office here at the church. Buddy Lee, I don't have, like, most of us in our lives don't have, like, a physical idol, correct? You don't have a little statue of Buddha that you bow, bow down to. You don't have this imagery, these icons or whatever that you're worshiping. But let's just pretend. Let's say that Buddy Lee is this idol. He's a... He's a Buddha. He's a statue. He's the thing that I worship, right? But maybe, most, most likely for us as Americans, it's not a statue. It's something like pride or greed or lust or relationships or money or wealth, whatever, cars and nice things. It could be, you name it, any good thing that becomes, becomes the ultimate thing is now an idol in your life. Anything that you would lose your purpose and identity from if it was removed has now become your idol. We should only be satisfied in Christ. In Christ alone is my whole world built. We sang that this morning. He's the thing that I stand on. He's my cornerstone. So anything, if it was removed from your life, you would have no purpose or value. That is now your idol, right? That is an idol. Anything that has ultimate purpose, that you love more than God, is an idol. So it's probably not Baal or some other Moabite idol or statue. It's something real. But let's just say that we can take that thing, and this area right here is my life. And my idol is sitting here in, on the platform of my life, right? Now, can I just, with my mind, hope that that idol goes away? Can I just, like, will Buddy Lee to walk out of this room and out of my life? Like, let's say this is my life. Can I do that? Can I wait for somebody else to just come and move it out of my life for me. Is that what Paul tells us to do? What does Paul say? What does Scripture tell us to do when we have idols in our lives? Things that are important to us and beyond God. A significant place in life. What, is, what does Paul tell us to do in verse 14? Go ahead. Anybody can say Flee. You have two options. The first one is flee. If there's an idol in your life, it's to run from that thing. You don't let it sit you don't let it stay there. You get away from it. So whether it's relationships, whether it's money, I don't know what it is, you flee from it. You run. Getting rid of an idol is not a passive 
waiting response for God to one day come and knock an idol on your heart. That might happen. I've seen it happen. It can happen. But that's not what we are told as believers who can think with the Holy Spirit to do. We don't sit around and judge God for not moving that idol out of our hearts. We don't sit around and say, God, you haven't done this yet. It's your fault. James says no evil things come from God. It's not God's fault that this is sitting in your life. I have a responsibility to run from that thing. I remember my brother-in-law, and, and when, when they, my sister and him weren't married, I can just tell his story because I've told mine all the time, so I'll tell his. But I remember when he was dating my sister and he was in church one night and he felt God say, Jessica, who's my sister, my parents weren't very creative, I know, Jesse, Jessica, anyway. God told him, she is more valuable to you than me. And he broke up with her, and I was ready to kill him because my sister was in tears. I'm like, I'm going to punch that guy in the face. He just crushed my little sister. But I remember about a week later, God did a work in his heart, and God said, okay, you sacrificed your Isaac, like Abraham, sacrificing that son. You sacrificed your Isaac. You're free to go back because I realize you'd do anything for me. I've had to do that in my life. I've seen other people do that where they've had to sacrifice an Isaac. You have to flee from certain relationships sometimes. Maybe there's a job that you, that's become your ultimate identity. This is my job. This is who I am. And Christ is like, I thought I was who you are. I thought my blood was who you are. I thought my son, my inheritor, my brother, my, I thought that was your identity, but apparently it's not. Getting rid of idols is always active. It's intentional. Fleeing from idols is active and intentional, not passive and accidental. An idol will never accidentally leave your life. It just won't happen. Some of you have been waiting for God to tear down the idols in your life, and God's saying, I'm giving you a choice. I'm giving you a way of escape. I've always been faithful. Now what are you going to do? My dad was here a few months ago, and he preached a message about, he said, he said if you don't change something, nothing's going to change. And I would say that same thing applies spiritually to the idols in our heart. If we don't change something, nothing's going to change. We have to do something. If you have issues with greed, then start giving things away. If you have an issue with lust, unplug the computer and get off the internet. If you have issues with gluttony, put the bag of Doritos in the trash. Like, get rid of that idol, whatever it is. If you have issues with pride, start acknowledging other people in your life and praising them for their achievements and stop praising yourself in the mirror. I don't know what your issue is. Sometimes you have to flee. You have to actively do something. The second thing that we see in Scripture to do with, with, with it is not just fleeing from an idol. Sometimes it's knocking it over. Sometimes it's smashing that idol and destroying that idol and kicking it to the ground and breaking it off and removing it from our lives. I'm asking this morning, some of us have been passively waiting for an idol to just break on its own and you have to break the idol. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit, follow the cloud, follow the move. You've been baptizing Christ. Why are you hanging out with Moabite women? I know, it's silly. Why? His head was harder than I expected it to be. <laughs> I Amazon that thing this morning to see how much it was. 50 bucks for one of those right now. 
I'm about to see the doctor about my leg tomorrow. I'm kidding. There's a story where Jesus meets a rich man. The rich man comes to Jesus and he says, look, I've followed the law. What else do I need to do? What can I do? And Jesus says, okay, you've done all these things. Go sell everything that you have. And he walked away sad. That's one of the hardest verses because it's so real to me. There are certain things that I say, God, I trust you. What else do I have to do? What else can I do to make you the Lord, the rightful God of my life, to sit on the true throne of my heart? What else do I have to do? And he says, here's the thing. And so often we're like, ew, I'd rather not. Can't you just remove this thing on your own so it doesn't hurt? Removing idols often hurts. It doesn't feel good. It takes sacrifice. It takes removing the thing actually out of your life and out of your way of thinking, out of your path. Flee from it. Do something. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. I hope you're receiving this. We have the cloud of His Holy Spirit to follow. We have been baptized into new life. We have been given the food and the drink of the Lord's body and blood. We cannot take it for granted. We cannot say that now I'm free so I can do whatever I want and fall back into the same bondage. Don't be stupid. Don't be naive. I want you to be aware. There's a few things we have to do in our lives to get rid of an idol. Everybody in here, if I gave you 30 seconds, you could probably come up with the thing that's most important to you. You could probably come up with it. It might not even take you 30 seconds. You might be able to just tell me like that. This is the most important thing to me. This is the thing that I find my purpose in or my, my joy in. Like I said, it can be it can be good things. I've I've been through seasons in my life where I've found my joy and my pleasure in entertainment. Sometimes you gotta unplug the TV, you gotta put the books away, you gotta spend time in His presence, and let Him be your ultimate. Let Him be the ultimate joy. Four things I want to say real quick. We have to identify the idol in our life. If you don't know what it is, you're gonna continue to bow down to it, probably accidentally. You're gonna never, you're never gonna realize that you're finding purpose in something unless you identify it. Two, we have to look for that escape. God is always faithful. He's always giving you a way of escape. Three, flee from that idol. Find that escape, go. Flee from it. And four, destroy the altars to other gods. If you can't flee, kick it down. You can't kick it down to get away from it. Make sense? Tim Keller says this. He said this on his Twitter the other day. I don't, I don't know if it's in the book or not, but he said this. He said, if you uproot an idol in your life and you fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, the idol will grow back or be replaced by another. You have to put Christ in that spot. You have to literally pick your life up and let Christ be the center. Put all of your affections, all of your desires into following him, listening to him, letting him fill you with real joy, real peace real happiness, because everything else is fake. Everything, he even says that. He's like, these other gods, I'm not telling you they're real, but the spirit behind it's real. The demon behind it's real. The enemy is real. That, that statue is not real. Lust is not real, but there's something behind it. Greed is not real, but there's something deeper behind it. Pride is not real, but there's something behind that. And that thing is not God. Make sense? That thing is not him. 
That thing is not his presence. These last few chapters that we've been talking about, really has Paul been trying to encourage this church to start to think through the lens of the cross and remove areas of pride and foolishness out of their lives. It's about making us be free people, truly free people. We are designed for his kingdom and his glory to be on display through us. And nobody can see Christ and him glorified when the idol is sitting on the throne of your heart. Nobody sees him in his rightful place when something else is sitting there. It's God's grace and a hunger for his presence that will empower you to destroy these empty idols that ruin and deceive you. He wants to put these priorities of your life and the perspectives of your life into a rightful alignment. This whole series is in how grace puts the pieces together. It's only his grace that he has given us everything that we need. Everything. You have everything you need. You have the life in Christ. You have the spirit. You have communion. You have fellowship with the saints. You have encouragement. You have a body of believers who encourage you. You have everything you need. It's all here. Just receive it and walk in it. Let him put the, his grace, the things that he's given you, put the pieces of your life together. Let him be in his rightful place. This morning, if we could stand, but if you're suffering and from a reoccurring sin or idolatry or you find your hope in something false, then I want to encourage you. If our, if our elders can come forward and, and Keely, Bob, and Will, if you guys can come forward, we want to pray with you if, you if you'd like that. We're going to worship him. We're going to sing about him being enthroned. How awesome is that? We're going to take these next few moments let him be enthroned. And if you, I, I encourage you to come pray with somebody. If you're really struggling with something, please. There's no, there's no embarrassment in the kingdom of God. This is a celebratory thing where we recognize idols and we knock them down. There should be celebration in the house when somebody smashes their buddy wing. Whatever it is.